Hey, Savages and sports fans, it's the Greg Medford Show. Greg, your host here in Phoenix, Arizona. How's it going? We're in here because it's 187 degrees outside, but it's a dry heat. How's everybody doing? We've got a lot going on. Um, we've been talking in our series now. We've got some really interesting guests coming up, which I'll uh, let you know about. Bobby, are we allowed to let anybody know about any of our upcoming guests? I mean, we should start promoing a little bit uh, at the beginning, almost like a little, like a little lead-in, right? So we've got Joe Arpaio coming on. We got Barry Goldwater Jr. coming on. Looks like maybe can I can I say our boxer? Not yet. Not yet. No. We don't want to jinx that. We may have a boxer coming on. So, <laughs> uh, no names. In the continuing effort to figuratively hold a musket, you know. It was only 3% who wanted to be Americans. The other 97% wanted to be British. And can you imagine if we all had like effete British accents and were all subject to the queen and had been locked down by the guy with bad hair? I, I There's only room for one bad hair leader in this continent, and he's... Boris Johnson? Not Boris, yeah. <laughs> I only want one leader with bad hair on this continent. Um... You know, it's always a small group of people that affect change as human beings are. A certain amount of human beings are backward looking and a certain amount are forward looking. The forward looking are few. And the ones who actually step into the breach, as was discussed in Plato's Republic and the allegory of the cave, it's such a small group of people. So, uh, since I'm too old, fat, and ugly to kick down doors and blame bad guys for our, countries any our country anymore... This is what I get to do because there's three legs of the milk stool. There's the empowered people empowered by the creator. We give up a small fraction of our uh, inalienable human rights, our inalienable rights to a group of people that we elect and then get rid of. Uh, and, and then there's a struggle between those two. And there's a third group that speaks truth to power. And we could have never ratified the Constitution had we not done the original Bill of Rights. And the first one was regarding freedom of speech, free press, assembly, religion. The second one was to keep and bear arms. And then there's a whole bunch of amendments. But the keep and bear arms wasn't the 19th Amendment. It wasn't the 12th Amendment. It wasn't the 4th Amendment. It was the second. You can speak your mind, gather, pray to whom you'd like, speak the truth free of the king's wrath, and you got a right to defend yourself. That was the most important thing. Because in the early America, everyone didn't want to be taken over and bullied by the big cities of Philadelphia and New York. That was the detente that was reached to ratify the Constitution. And we have the same battle going on now. It's San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. It's these big cities and big states that want to boss around the flyover states and tell us how to be godless heathens. So what we can do now, like we could do then, and back then to sign up, you know, there was no podcast, there was no internet, there was no way to get the word out. So they wrote under 
nom de guerres, or nom de plumes, I should say. They wrote under f pseudonyms because they could be killed for it. Um, they tried to push ideas out there uh, to try and change people, but most people didn't read. Uh, so it was a small group of people you could sway. And then when, when, when it actually started, you had to have a one blue coat with seven buttons, uh, two pairs of trousers, two pairs of socks, one pair of black shoes, one halberd head. They told you what you needed to bring, and you could sign up and kind of put your flesh to the cause. Well, now we get to do this. Um, the third leg of the milk stool is speaking truth to power, and the press has abdicated their job. And the Republic doesn't work without it. If anyone wants to know why the Republic's failing, the Republic's failing because there's no accountability. Why is there no accountability? Because nobody speaks truth to power. They collude with each other so they can go to the National Press Corps meeting and they want to be a bunch of goddamn socialites instead of running the country. Instead of doing the good business of the people. So I get to do this, which is kind of fun. And we get to talk to our citizens who have already been elected, who are already walking the uh, swampy halls of power, and folks who are jumping into that even at the state level like today. So our next guest, Vera Gabron, kind of reminds me of a Lebanese Wonder Woman type. <laughs> She's going to step in with us today, and we're going to talk some politics. Now, I know it's Arizona local politics, and maybe you're from Marin County or from Chicagoland, or you're from uh, Beaufort, South Carolina. These issues are the same issues that affect all of us across the entire nation. So sit down for a few minutes. Kick your feet up, make yourself an Irish coffee, enjoy your Wednesday morning as we get into the great American experience, the great American experiment, and talk about this wonderful republic a little bit. So, Vera, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Could you people keep it down, please? They're so compliant the Aren't way they, they just shut right up. It's awesome. I love that you got the Marine Corps hat on. It makes me warm and fuzzy inside, but I know it wasn't for me. So in the future, you're supposed to go, I wore it because I did my research. <laughs> That's okay. You're wearing the, the the hat for your boys. I am. I'm paying homage to my twin boys, uh, George and Leo. They're 12, and they are. They decided, they requested uh, to attend the Marine Military Academy in Harlingen, Texas. So I am honoring them today. I miss them very much. I have not had communication with them. Uh, yeah, how old are they? Uh, they're twelve, and I have a. They're nephew. both twelve. Uh, twins. Oh my! Yes. Oh, you were, you really have twins. <laughs> I, I really have you. twins. <laughs> and then you've got uh, a third boy who's at the Army Navy Academy in in Carlsbad right now. And how old is he? He's fourteen. So, and is that your whole brood? Do you have three no, or do you have one I, more? I've got three boys and a girl. And, and what's the poor girl doing? She's 10 years old. <laughs> she's spending uh, her morning with her situ and jiddu, which is Arabic for uh, grandmother and grandfather. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> yes. So, um, you, I've been, I didn't, you know, re I, I didn't totally realize this until recently, until just today, but I've been uh, eating with your family for years. Oh, you're uh, a US Egg fan. I'm a US Egg uh, attendee. Now, spectacular. I wasn't oh, sure, a customer. I wasn't sure which places were which. Are they all owned, or is there a cousin that owns one on his we own? We own or? all of them. Okay. Uh, my brothers and I, we started them actually in, in college. So the one <laughs> at Bell Road and I 17? Yes, that's Mario's. Okay. So <clears throat> I, me. I've, uh, I've 
our, our old factory was right next to there, and I used to go okay. over there and have like breakfast all the time. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for your patronage. No problem. <laughs> and I, there was a uh, Sons of the American Revolution flag up on the wall in there, and I, or certificate on the wall, and I was like, oh, look at these guys. Yes, we've actually had the great pleasure of, uh, we've, we have a lot of support from the veteran community. We do a lot of you know, uh, charity work. That's because veterans like to eat. Well, there, we like to show our appreciation. You know, we're immigrants and we have, uh, an unusual and really deep sense of love and appreciation for what this country is and what it has afforded us. Mm. Yes. I've rarely met Americans who liked America more than middle Easterners <clears throat> and Greeks that come here. And uh, we were just talking before the show, uh, my grandfather came over, he lived in the mountains of Greece in the Peloponnese and came here Beautiful. during World War One. And I grew up hanging out with him. Like, you know, my parents were young, they were kids having kids, so they were busy hustling. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then my parents divorced when I was young. And I spent a lot of time with my grandparents on both sides. And they were like so formative in my life. Yes, uh, And because we kind of had this nuclear, e even though there was a divorce, we lived up the street from each other and I would go over to grandpa's grandpa after school on it, right? Typical. I lived down the street from my parents. Do you, do you still? <laughs> yes. Did you, did you guys buy the street? <laughs> Actually, we did. We did have an entire, when we first came to Arizona, we had five homes in one neighborhood and then we all moved up north and bought five homes up there. <laughs> So we, yes, we are all right near each other. I'm the, down the street from my The way head. to do that is to have separate locations so you don't work together. Well, we all work together. We but, still but have Sunday night dinner. Right? We still have Sunday night dinner. But you don't work together, together, together during the day, right? No, we do. We do. Oh, you do? I, I don't because I'm campaigning and that kind of thing. But all of my brothers and my father, they absolutely do. But they don't work at each location? or the, or They each have a location. Right. So they and, mostly spend their time there, not with each other, right? Well, I mean, they do dinner a couple times a week. Sunday night dinner is compulsory, you okay, know, so okay. we have our meetings. We're, we're involved in actually quite a bit of enterprise all throughout the Valley, but... Well, what other stuff are you guys into? Well, they're into a little bit of real estate and okay. uh, real estate development and golf courses and things like that. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. As soon as you start stacking up some shekels, you got to figure out what to do with them all because, <laughs> you know, just put them in the bank. I was having this discussion with somebody the other day and they're like... I said, you know, when you get when you get money, you don't just put it all in the bank. You you got to do stuff with it, or you have to give it all away to the government. For God's sake. <laughs> well, you know, it comes to go. The money comes to go. It's to be shared. It's to be expanded. And yeah. you know, where uh, USAG is one of the top twenty private employers in the state, and I'm quite proud of that. We've employed thousands of people over the years. Cool. Yeah. And what were you, were you? When did you stop working for the USAG operation? Uh, just recently? The, no, it was um, in the mid 90s, late 90s. I went on to uh, kind of discover my own projects. I moved to Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, I uh, met a very interesting group of people. And as we got to know each other, they recruited me and we put together this model to. This is uh, the call center thing? Yes, yeah. we, we innovated the idea of the call center industry in India. And at the time, I was the only one that was single and without children and without a mortgage. So and you took care of all that. I <laughs> went to the front lines. Yeah, <laughs> since then. So I was sent to the front lines. I went to India in 1999, in March 99, and 
by D- I was given a uh, I was allocated one driver and one secretary, and by December I had forty thousand square feet and one thousand employees. Yeah, you know, it's those developing countries are just like it's the wild west to do business, isn't it? It was pretty spectacular, and you know, I'm obviously I'm female, I'm Christian. Uh, at the time, what? I was single. You're female? So bizarre. <laughs> at the time, I was uh, I, I was single, and I'm American. So oh, those the were really big strikes. That's the third time you said of... at the time you were single. So what's <laughs> what's Mr. Vera do? Uh, I don't. Oh, oh I, I don't have a Mr. Vera you don't have now, a Mr. Vera now, no. okay? Because that's the problem with female politicians is the guys all become uh, uh, they call the first gentleman or whatever. No, no, it's, I don't have it's a, a, a first Vera. Okay, so yeah. it was a phase. You went through a phase. You're like, okay, did that. <laughs> all right, so you opened up these companies in I India. Did. You got all this going. Made a new model for the industry to kind of chase afterwards, and that's why every time I call my cell phone provider, I end up talking to somebody in Bhopal. Well, it's it's a little bit more complicated than that, but and and it was at the time I, I we. So. We're the gold standard. <laughs> okay. We we did a great job. We had you know high quality and you know at the time, Greg, we were transferring from satellite communication to uh, to fiber optics. Mm-hmm. And so when I say we were on the front lines, I really mean that we were. You know, I was there. I was on the ground. We were getting reports every day, every morning. Uh, about the amount of kilometers of, of uh, bandwidth that was laid between the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean. Mm. So we were waiting to go live. We had our uh, employees all geared up and, and trained, ready to go, waiting for the fiber to be lit. Which, so, which finally happened days. and you got to like turn, was there a big big bell ringing ceremony or something? It was, yes, we all did right. have, a, have a victory party. All right, that's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so you did that for some years. Uh, when did you come back to California? Well, actually, there was quite a bit that happened after that. The model was so spectacularly successful that we were then invited by the government of Pakistan to replicate the model there, and then uh, asked again by the South African government, and then later on by the Fijian government. So after India, I also opened up the markets in Pakistan, South Africa, and Fiji. Fiji, that's such a rough market to open up. <laughs> well, yeah, Suva is not as glamorous as other other parts yeah. but it was pretty pretty spectacular yes I was I've f- had a beautiful life I was in Fiji to play tennis on a tennis tour and uh, the airplane we were on as we landed they had a coup and <laughs> I was there and dur- well this is back in the 80s so I don't know if oh, you were really no. back in no, the no, 80s no, they, they, had another they've, coup. they've had multiple coups yes. yeah. okay 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 <laughs> so they had a coup while we had landed and they wouldn't let us off the airplane mm-hmm. uh, and at the and so while we were sitting there getting a flight plan ready to leave, fuel started pouring out of the wing of the airplane. So it's a uh, Qantas wow. Airlines 747. And <laughs> so we're all sitting in the airplane. And, you know, in America, like if there's fuel out of pouring out of a wing, everyone's off the airplane in two seconds. Yes. We're all looking at them like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can't come Relax. off the airplane. We're like, uh. and I'm a pilot. You know, I'm sitting there looking out the window like, it's not good. I'm like, hey, excuse me, miss. Ding, 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 ding. I'm like, there's fuel pouring out the window. So anyway. They blew apart, and uh, it took 24 hours to fly a part in in a little jet. They flew a mm-hmm. litter jet down with a part from uh, Australia, but we sat in the airplane for two days. It was wow. awful. Wow. Unbelievable. That's hardcore. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was my big Fiji trip, it wow. was, which was supposed to be beaches and Luxury, tennis. Luxury, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. Sunshine, be beaches, beaches, yes. So, um, and okay, so you bounced around the world. Where were you in South Africa? I lived in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Awesome. At first, I lived in Greenpoint. 
Um, I had a kind of a love hate because I could see. When were you there? I was there uh, in early 2000s, so it wasn't quite a decade after the apartheid. apartheid, And so um, what was, in my experience, South Africa is masterful at PR. And so what was happening, you know, out in the world was very different than what was happening behind the scenes. I was behind the scenes and it wasn't lining up. So um, this movement, you know, post-apartheid was supposed to be liberating and empowering. And uh, being behind the scenes, I could see that there was a lot of effort to really not allow for that prosperity to happen. And I had a real problem with that. By the former people in power or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, that place has got soul searching to do and it's not far in the past, so. It'll yes. be a while. Yes. It'll be a while to the ring in that toilet yes. bowl's been cleaned out. But I, you know, I learned a lot, and and obviously I was doing a lot of um, international kind of diplomacy work. I was getting the governments of India and Pakistan to work together to cooperate for the advantage of both of their economies. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of work with liberating uh, women and. Uh, uh, kind of getting them their economic uh, prosperity revved up. And um, I, I got the, for example, both in India and in Pakistan, uh, I worked with my team to uh, change the laws to accommodate uh, female laborers. Yeah. I'm quite proud of that. And uh, so in doing all of that work, I gained a unique set of skill set yeah, uh, that allowed me to get things done. Yes, and perspective. Yes. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, well-heeled, whiny, upper-class people who have their head up their ass about how awful the rest of the world can be, and how self-determinism and financial freedom is the key to our personal empowerment to oh, who we absolutely. are. Absolutely, especially, especially. I mean, I will never. One of the, one of the apex moments of my life was when I was in India and we had invited Citibank in to uh, open up all of the female's first bank accounts because I really had to I really had to advocate and really had to convince the husbands and the fathers to allow the women to have their own bank accounts. They had never had access to their to any kind of money. Yeah, bananas. And I that was really an extraordinary day in my life. I think that I was happier than any of the women because just seeing their faces and that feeling of like complete liberation, uh, extraordinary. I mean, even just thinking about it right now, I really get goosebumps because I'm I'm proud that I was able to contribute in some small way to that. Very cool. Yeah, it was. People who don't get around much don't realize how oppressed women are globally Mm -hmm. today. Yes. Not 50 years ago, not 100 years ago, today. Yes. Uh, so it's interesting. I think it would be probably really beneficial to our culture and all of the, you know, we have silly discussions here. We're having silly discussions and we're a silly people. I, and and, and we're, the rest of the world is wrestling with real issues. And, mm-hmm. and while we're being silly, China is taking over everywhere. And I want to say so much in, in response to just that little... <laughs> just to that little bit. So I agree with you that there is an addiction to distraction in this country, uh, undoubtedly. And I 
very frequently, I find myself throughout the day, very frequently saying, you know, that's a first world problem because yeah. that's how I see it. I know. Most of the discussions or, you know, woes that we have are first world. It's because we have time well, we're making to fun, think about it. We're making it, fun right? of it. If your life is so good for so many people to complain about something that is so incrementally small compared to real Correct. problems in the world. Correct. You know, the same people worrying about what signs are on a bathroom. There's empty bellies. Yes, there you know? are. And I've the, seen it. Yeah. Yes, the, I've the, experienced it. Yes. There aren't enough people who've, who understand. There are people still starving across the world Absolutely. every single day. Absolutely. That's and correct. I, and I'm not saying we should burn down America to go solve everyone's problems, but there are real problems. And do you ever, do you ever have like some what was me day where you're like, I just keep, keep banging my head and I just do uh, like, I'm pretty indomitable. I don't have too many what was me days, but every now and then some days the bear gets me and I got to kind of keep my game face on. Honestly, I mean, I may have a moment of that yeah. or literally like a brief moment but i have had the privilege and and the honor of learning so much so there's so many layers and i've seen so much firsthand i mean every time i walked out my i walked out of my door in india there was a billion people there most of them were not living well so so, so i have those woe is me moments but not a day I don't allow that. Well, yeah, I, I don't either. But let's yeah. say you're in India at some point fighting up an uphill battle yes. against the government that is only good for everyone. And at the end of the day, you're like, wow, I, I need a glass of wine. This was a, <laughs> I'm sure you've I had a day like that. I can't say that that hasn't happened. Okay. <laughs> well, if you, if you have ever been having one of those moments and then seen somebody who's maybe missing their legs tap in a tin can Absolutely. on the ground. And, uh, you know, I've been around the world and seen people lower than anything you'll ever see here and it gives you a moment of relativity where you go absolutely I got no problem absolutely i have these all the time uh you know when i see the zombies the uh fentanyl zombies around town hopping around on one leg sadly, missing after teeth sadly yes. I, I go man i got no and you know it's, it'll be like after some key person you know says they want to go find a new career or some big company says they don't like my politics so they dump our company as a customer stuff like that happens you know like uh, all right i'm gonna go have lunch that's a, that's a shot in the gut and then you see that and you go god you know i don't i don't really have big problems i've got I have first world problems. <laughs> right. And, you know, you always have to kind of just check yourself and, and say, do, do the things that matter, are they in check for me? Mm -hmm. You know, my children's health, my health, yep. our family, the love, the bond of love, which, you know, it needs to be acknowledged because a lot of people don't have that bond of love. And uh, sadly, it's actually the root of many of our problems. Of course it is. You know, there isn't that nurturing and that attention that's being given to children as they need it because we're distracted, whether it be with our careers or with our, you know, our clubs or trying to be relevant in some way. The children are being neglected in the meantime. You know, you know, when you cut down a tree, I know you've seen this or watched a documentary and they can see when fires happened by looking at the wood rings mm -hmm. or they can see when there was drought and they can age a tree because they know, oh, we had a crazy drought in the 1920s. Look where the 1920s is on this tree. You know what I'm talking about? You ever seen where they do tree ring science? Yes, that I, yes. Okay. Tree ring. 
Well, it's it's an actual way of dating, right? Yeah. So um, if you find like a piece of wood yes. at a fire pit of ancient man, you can look at the rings and go, oh, this is when this great thing happened. Yes. Especially with like the sequoias because they live a long time, right? Human beings, we're like that. We're exactly the same, except the rings are in our brain, in our, in our hearts. You know, you talk about love and the connection with family and all of those things. Those rings were well-fed and watered years from me, which gives me the confidence to just do whatever I want, do it with a smile on my That's face right. and be successful. You had the full-time attention of, of your grandparents as you started out the, the yeah. show with. And, yeah. and, you know, I always kind of talk about that, that, you know, some people talk about past lives. I believe that we have, you know, that DNA memory um, where in my blood runs all of the experiences of all of my ancestors before me, all of their pain, all of their their joy, their suffering, their battles. And somewhere inside of me, I have all of that wisdom to recall on. You know, when you have that gut feeling about something, sure. it's because maybe we've been there before. And, and it comes to even being innovative or being industrious. I mean, I realized one day when I was living in India, the, um, the name of my company was Worldbridge. It dawned on me that my ancestors, who were the Phoenicians, okay, the original seafarers who predated the Vikings, who were going from, you know, taking merchandise and they were the original tradespeople and they were bringing cultures and ideas and products together, it occurred to me that I was literally doing exactly what my ancestors, ancestors did, done. but only using technology as my right. vehicle yeah. rather than the vessel. Rather than the spice so, spice road, <laughs> the spice road and, rather and, than and the, the ships. The, the ships made from yeah. cedar. So, you know, that it was a natural place for me where I excelled and where I figured out how to do things that is inexplainable. Hmm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I've, uh, over the last few years, you know, we've had this white privilege thing smacked over our heads so many times. And uh, I'm not plucking this out of thin air. It connects to what you and I are talking about. Because when I hear white privilege, and I've listened to Thomas Sowell talk about the economics of uh, freed slaves during the Reconstruction period, all the way up until the 1960s, the rise of the modern welfare state in the United States, you know, what was going on in the black community here in America, because we've got big disenfranchisement problems to solve in this country, which were already solved. We've created them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like there's no such thing as white privilege. I think there's love privilege. And, and it ties back, and I'm kind of like a gangster thug, punch somebody in the mouth kind of dude. But so people to hear me say that, like, what is Greg talking about? That time you get in your youth where you are loved by your parents, and nurtured. you are nurtured and Fostered, you are yes. uh, protected and you're allowed to get a little bumped up too, a little scuffed. You know, your dad lets you get scuffed and Absolutely. picks you up by the neck and makes sure nobody's going to kill you, but he'll let you get a little scuffed up. There's something about that time. And I, I just call it love privilege because African-Americans with nuclear families had that experience. Yes. Hispanics have that experience. Yes. Lebanese have that experience. And it explains the rise of West Indies immigrants who are blacks who've come through slavery, but they have nuclear families yes. that have not hitched on to Southern hillbilly culture. So they believe in strong families and love and education. And uh, it's, uh, it's I, 
I, so I, I, when people say white privilege, it's love privilege. It's not white privilege. It's yes. being loved by your family. Absolutely. Really important. There's enough people to have enough love to go around because one person's not enough. As much as he or she, yeah. the single parent may be giving, it's not enough. Got to have. It takes the, the community. It literally it takes, the it takes the village. Yeah, it takes I know. The I hate to quote, I, I hate to quote, quote I, Hillary Clinton, I, I, but yeah. <laughs> I I agree with you, but it does really takes the village. I I am proud to say that. Uh, I was raised not just by my mother, but by my aunt and also my great aunt, my aunt Frida, my aunt Susan, and my. It took three women to raise me and foster me into a ladylike uh, behavior and mentality. And and. Uh, and how about that? My father taught me something else. My yeah. father gave me a, a different uh, set of skill set. But it was the the women who uh, gave me the tools, the skill set to understand that my femininity is my power, and that it can be used really to move mountains. Uh, it has. We have to acknowledge the power of of the female. Yeah. Uh, it is almost like, for example, the power of our ability to serve and to give endlessly. Sadly, I think in the Western uh, civilization, very frequently, the rejection we of think, that feminine. We, well, think we, we think that service is weakness. Yeah. I don't perceive it that way. No, I, I believe that service is my greatest power. And it's also what I enjoy doing because it's part of my natural primitive nature. You know, we're so occupied at this point in time uh, in we're, we're occupied trying to redesign God's blueprint. Yeah. It's God's blueprint. Like literally. Mm. This is male primitive nature. This is female primitive nature. And then we have the hubris. The hubris <laughs> audacity to just undo right. God's blueprint. Yeah. And uh arrogance. Arrogant. Yeah. So I am most comfortable doing what is natural to me, what is in my DNA, mm. what I have done since the beginning of my fiber. You so know, you've, embraced, about, you've embraced your feminine and your nurture and all of that. And it sounds like you've got come, you're at peace with that as a professional. And I, well, I think a I lot of women struggle with, with that horribly. You know, I grew up with four brothers, four Middle Eastern brothers. Uh, so, you know, in Arabic, they call me Ikhid Shabib. They, there is a title for, for females who grew up in a male-dominated uh, family. Ikhid Shabib means the sister of men. And so our perspective and our behavior is generally a little bit different. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, hold on. i got to unpack some stuff here. Okay. So uh, how many kids in your family? In, 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 in that, your that, siblings? I have four brothers. So you're I'm four the middle and child. One. I, we're four and one. Two older brothers who are total businessmen. That my two younger brothers who are total artists. I was the bridge between that. So I started my You've been honing the of, the, of, of been, negotiations yeah, your very early world on. Connector. <laughs> yes. And then, um, are, your, are your parents still together? They fifty six years, oh, and they awesome. are just the coolest. They're best friends. They're what, still gorgeous together. What's your dad do? So my father immigrated. I mean, he's retired now, right? 
No. Oh my Are God. you kidding? I know my Greek He's snakes Lebanese. used to work right till they're dead. They're like, they're like, <laughs> he they, will never retire. No, copying wouldn't fall into <laughs> the coffin. He literally wakes up at five or five thirty, still shaves with a straight edge. You know, he's beautiful and he's put together and still goes to work every morning. Not because is he involved he in the restaurant to, thing? He is absolutely. Oh God, absolutely. So which one does he go to? He goes to all of them. He goes yeah. to a different one every day, oh. and and he enjoys being, you know, with with my brothers. They have coffee in the morning. Oh, they yeah, talk yeah. about it. Right. It's like built-in social club. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And then he loves his staff. I mean, we we currently, I think, our staff count is just under three hundred. So they all love him. You know, he's he's like the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a lot of reverence and love from his employees, yeah. uh, and he's earned that. Yeah. He's been a great leader. So. Yes, uh, my parents are still together happily, and they're they're very healthy. Knock on, knock on wood. Hilarious! That's yes. awesome. So uh, you, what? Now you're you're off in uh, gallivanting around the world, connecting everyone, and you've <laughs> done that. Brought this model to all these countries. Something pulls you back to the United States. My family pulls me back. Bobby, I, I, I know this my... is not a hard-hitting political interview. I'm getting sucked into her Middle Eastern eyes. I feel like some belly dancer just like drew me in. I feel like Salome and I've I, she's like Salome. I'm like, oh, just tell me more about you. <laughs> Sorry, you can cut all this bullshit out, right? No, it's totally different. Okay. All right, close the door. I just want my moment with her. That's hilarious. Continue That's super on. hilarious. Uh, uh, you were born actually, in 72, right? No. So you weren't born in 70? I was born in the 70s, yes. <laughs> born in the 70s. I was born at the very beginning of 70s. I was born in 70. I thought you were around my age or a little bit younger. We are. Oh, nice. We, we definitely are. But I, you I asked did, did what, 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 you. what drew me back was I wanted my children. She's like, would you focus? <laughs> I wanted my children to have the influence of their grandfather and their oh, grandmother. Okay, okay. That was were really the born primary. abroad or did they? No, my children are uh, half American. But they were born on U.S. soil. Okay. And I'll tell you, when everything started happening with COVID, um, I was literally lying awake at night because I realized that I, as a, as a Lebanese immigrant, came to this country and was afforded more opportunity and more liberties than my natural-born American citizen children were going to have if I and others didn't get into the fight to do something about it. And so, you know, I just decided that somebody with my background and my skill set, if I'm not offering to help solve the problem, then I would be kind of contributing to it. So I got into the race. <laughs> do you have a, a hit list of things you want to start oh, jumping into? There are so well, many. Give me a couple of them. Give me your, give me your well, low-hanging you know, fruit. It's, 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 my, you know, it's like a huge ball of yarn that needs to be undone. But I would say that my top, top thing, because without this, nothing else matters, is addressing the government overreach and the disrespect of the Constitution. You know, they, the, the powers that be are really trying to obliterate they are trying to disintegrate our beautiful constitution as far as i'm concerned there's the bible and then after that is the constitution both divinely inspired and uh it is what sets us apart of course from the rest of the world and where other civiliz civilizations survived 200 years we're approaching 250 
because of that constitution. And we know we have evidence of its power due to the last couple of weeks and all of the great things that have happened. So uh, the restoration of that respect for the constitution, bringing back civics to our classroom so that our citizens can understand that they are not subjects, that they are actually citizens and what their power is as a citizen, what their duty is as a citizen. The government overreach has to be put to a stop. So it's great to have that sentiment and it's the right kind of attitude for somebody that we like to send to the state house Talk to me a little bit about what your plan is to do that. Because everybody wants to affect change. I talked to all these politics. I talked to everybody. Everybody's got plans and a sentiment. Uh, and a lot of times I agree with the sentiment. But a, most of the time, what I don't see is an actionable plan from people. So I, and I feel like, you know, my li whole life, everything I do, I kind of reverse engineer. What, what do I visualize for myself that I want? And then I go, okay, imagine me, boom, I'm doing this. And then how do I get to that? What's the next step back? What's the next step back? What's the next step back? Right. Okay, well, that's really simple. I'll just do that step. And and then I kind of like island hopping campaign to my my version of myself that I want to be. As you run for, as an elected official, it seems everybody gets caught up, obviously, because the next step is getting elected. So there's this big hubbub to get into power, but a lot of people don't really have a plan when they get there. Oh no, I have, so, so I have a lot a, of ideas. Just give me an idea. Wonderful, I, I'd be happy to. So as I mentioned earlier, it's a gigantic just ball. I don't even wanna say yarn. It's, it's a like rat's fishing nest. line. It's a rat's okay? nest. I mean, yeah. it, this needs to be intricately pulled apart. The first thing that needs to be acknowledged and addressed is truly, well, first of all, you mentioned that once people get into power, Firstly, I, I am not attached to the outcome of this election. I am offering my services to my state and my country out of gratitude for what it has afforded me and my family. I hope that I do get elected. I feel like I will. I've been doing well. Um, but for me, this is not this is not a, a power play. This is a, this is a maneuver of service. Okay, I just want to make sure that you got that. that that's clear. Number two. Because you're the, empathic. The, <laughs> number two, well, most the, importantly, life is of service, the, right? Absolutely, it is. Uh, is the corruption amongst our officials? Okay, this is a major, major problem. In Australia, though they, though you know, I really believe that this is the greatest country on earth. We have a lot to learn from other places. I've, I've lived in. I've, I've worked on. 22 in 22 countries on six continents. I love that in Australia, they have a six week campaign cycle. That's it, six weeks. So the elected official actually fulfills the job that they were elected to do. And in the last six weeks of it, they campaign. Now in America, we can never cut the campaign cycle to six weeks because as we know it's an integral part of the economic wheel so they're not and of course the news cycle so it's never going to be agreed to by anybody to do six weeks but how about we do 12 weeks or 15 weeks or let's cap it at a 20 week for example uh campaign cycle that will level the playing field in terms of money raised, okay, because the amount of money that's being spent on elections is ridiculous. It's it's actually repellent, okay? Now that needs to be coupled with 
term limits. Term limits have to happen. People who have been in politics for 20 years, 30 years, how could they not be corrupt? How could they not be touched by the lobbyists and the special interest groups? We're all human. Can I play devil's, we are all human. Can I play devil's advocate about term limits? Uh, please go ahead. I understand the sentiment of term limits. It's a almost like a it's a legal automatic delete button that will stop me from electing somebody that I really want to reelect because they're so good because we fail to have accountability. Term limits are some way to force us. It allows us to not prosecute people for illegal behavior and get rid of them. And then it almost ensures an ongoing inexperienced class of leaders. Thomas Jefferson, he said, we are supposed to be citizen statesmen. Mm -hmm. I don't consider myself a politician. And I, and quite frankly, I don't want that title. I am proud to be a citizen states, statesman. Uh, you have to trust the system. You have to trust the Constitution. You have to trust its intention. It has worked beautifully for us. Right. It's a little bit arrogant, I think, when people say, well, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to find anybody good enough to to take my place. I think 12-year-olds you know, could do a good job, quite frankly. <laughs> but, you know, let, how about how about if we do a term limit of eight years, which is equivalent to, you know, the presidency? How about if we you just can go prosecute in people? And be, well, I agree with that. I mean, I'm a, I, my name is Vera. It means truth. I mean, that's all I, I mean. That, so <laughs> I, the, that, that was I, my point in being devil's advocate about the issue. I hear term limits and it is a real popular thing because it's an automatic throw the bums out and get rid of corruption. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's just going to give them less time to be doubly corrupt. I, and, and then we get ingenue legislators forever and which I'm okay with, but I'm, I, I don't think we would be worrying about term limits if we would just enforce laws against corruption that's it's you know people's i ask everyone what the most important thing is the number one thing in our country that's not working mm -hmm. is accountability everything in this country works awesome everybody wants to pass new laws they want to do this they want to do that they want to change the constitution you know term limits are not in the constitution right and, and there's a reason for it because they used to actually prosecute people for breaking right. the law. Yes, this is a real, obviously, it's a major, major problem. And uh, sadly, uh, the laws are not being executed and we find ourselves in the situation that we are in now. Um, I, I hope things change. I hope that this wave brings back a sense of duty and wanting to bring honor back to our laws. You know, we all go in, I think most people, well, actually, you know what, I take that back. I I think a lot of people do get into politics, uh, apparently, for, you know, not so great reasons. So I'm going to, I'm going to walk. I'm not as cynical. I think most of them do go well-intentioned. The problem I have is, you know, I've been, I've been asked to run for a bunch of offices and I, it, it's so nasty to me. I, I just... I'm, I'm like wondering if I even want anything to do with it. I agree with you. This is absolutely the most gnarly field I have ever been exposed to. If there's anything in your past that you did when you were younger that you regret, and I mean, I was a gangster guy, man. I would punch somebody in the mouth. I'd shoot a street sign. I drove, didn't care. I raced cars and... I mean, I was a wild and the most perfect guy to go in the Marine Corps. I'm perfect to be in glass boxes, <laughs> go off to war, send him away to go take care of it. And 
I would get destroyed. They would go after my family. Absolutely. And what's going on in Washington? I mean, we saw what they did to Trump. They just didn't like him. They didn't like that. Uh, they couldn't control him. He had him. a successful fa- Look, he has beautiful children. Yeah. I know that people have, you know, not very favorable perspectives on them, but you know, look at him. <laughs> nobody hey, listen, I nobody has kids. a drug problem. Nobody has no, a drinking problem. No, Nobody's, they, they, you know, they're not on their laptop on with guns and hookers and all. I mean, they're, they're, the Biden kids are they're insane. Beautiful, you know, they're a beautiful, successful family. Yeah. God bless them. And, you know, that that wholesome, I'm not saying that the, the Trumps are wholesome, but I'm saying that the wholesomeness from Americana at this point in time is missing. And I am wanting so much to bring it back for my children and for future generations. And, you know, a large part of you were mentioning earlier, the whole white privilege thing. I I am, you know, I've got three sons and, and a daughter and, and, you know, this, this, the masculine uh, toxicity that everybody is talking about, Mm -hmm. that is deleting all future um, uh, opportunities for Mm -hmm. my children. Yeah. It's, awful we need to go back to a system of meritocracy people need to earn their way you don't get something just because you are asian or just because uh, another uh, quota needs to be fulfilled we need to return to a system of meritocracy so let's say i mean look i think the problem of our entire society is that men have become a bunch of candy asses because when men are candy asses, people aren't held accountable. When men are candy asses, families are weak. When families are weak, evil creeps into them. Um, when men are not involved in schools, because it's all a bunch of nice ladies, crazy purple-haired lesbian lunatics take over. That's who's taken over our country. So I agree with you about um, what has happened uh, to the male population in America. You know, we going back to that kind of our primitive roles uh, where the male figure was the protector and preservationist of the home and family. So obviously over time they have kind of chipped away at the masculinity yeah. uh, of, of males and kind of redefined they've made them you know, ultra sensitive or hypersensitive and, you know, I just it kind of makes sense to me. When you said it, that. It, like, it, it makes sense to me because when and if these greater powers, you know, that they at- intend to come to our doorstep, that first line of defense now has been feminized yeah. and it has been uh, kind of stripped away of all their power. Yeah, they so, do. They do not want a hundred million dudes like me in a house when they come to take <laughs> stuff away. They want a bunch of dudes wearing capri pants, flip flops, and a top knot on their head. That's what they want. I I just wrote the other day. I think there are very few things in the world more beautiful than an alpha male with courage. <laughs> well, well, they got me put at the end of a street. Like the whole neighborhood's not sure what to do with me. You know. <laughs> You can come to my neighborhood. <laughs> All right. Awesome. You and Amy. She's yeah. she's spectacular. Well, she she dumped me for being too talk, toxic masculine. <laughs> we she three years ago she's like we had we'd had enough. You know, it was very we spent twenty four years together and um working together almost that whole time. Uh was very hard on her. And it was challenging for me, but I, apparently it was much harder on her. So that's just the way it went. <laughs> what well, what matters do? is now. 
yeah, well, you know. It's the journey. You're here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, you um, do you have any signature pieces of things that you're kind of working? You know, the reason yes. I ask this is because there's a lot going on in the house all the time. Yes. And it is so much work to build original material. There's yes. a lot of good material there. Yes. And there are people to build alliances with and grab things that go, oh, I really like this. Maybe I could Tweak massage it. a little right. bit and, and, and be a part of it. And maybe we could find eight other people with support and let's push for it. Yes. Um, do you have any signature pieces I, I that you've do. kind of... My, my first thing that I want to introduce is an anti-grooming bill for children. Uh, this is really uh, imperative. Children are being exposed to an obscene amount of and, um, you know, kind of pornographic ideas and introducing... They're, the children aren't even able to emotionally process what they're seeing. Yeah. It confuses them. Mm -hmm. and. And so they're getting in, you know, they're getting this exposure really early on. Doubt and fear and confusion is being implemented into our children very early on. I believe that the enemy figured out a long time ago that if they can get uh, our citizens to weaken themselves, mm -hmm. then they're not going to have to do so much of the work. So there's a there's a, a push um, to kind of weaken our our citizenship. Yeah, well, it's so, been going on ever since the Department of Education was founded. I, I and, agree with and, that. And, and, I agree with been, that. They've been, there's been a, they have had a long game going. Yes, they They're have. They're like, we're going to lose. But that's how they think. Yeah. I mean, they are thinking, you know, we are uh, thinking in two and four year election cycles. They're planning in 100 year. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we want our kids to have opportunity. That's where we think. 100%. Because we're focused on our family. Right. They want to dominate. So they right. think on a uh, they think on a multi generational cycle. They do, and they go, well, "Let's get the colleges." I mean, they they wrote this plan out in the nineteen twenties, and and you know, well, as you know, uh, in the eighteen forties, the the British waged the opiate wars on the Chinese, and the Chinese still refer to that period uh, in their history as the most dismal and the one that uh, uh, shamed them the most. So they learned a lot of things along the years and they are actually deploying it. 80% of the fentanyl that comes into the United State, States comes in through the Arizona border and it is affecting our, you just mentioned earlier, yeah, it's, everywhere. it's literally in our backyard. Yeah, it's everywhere. We had that God bless the soul of that young man from Brophy who died uh, six weeks ago. Uh, he thought he was taking a Xanax and it was laced with fentanyl. 17 years old. Yeah. His it, whole life ahead of him ended, yeah. never woke up. Right. And as you said, it's on the streets in Scottsdale and well, Paradise Valley. Right. And we're worrying about stupid bathrooms and whether or not yeah. they open a strip a club in Scottsdale. It's the mayor over there's got their head up their ass. It's a distraction. Absolutely. It's all a distraction. Absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. breaks my heart because I see, like, there, I did a video a week or so ago about, you know, Greg's 90 day plan to save America. It's so simple, so straightforward fix the whole country so easily no unintended consequences and it's impossible to do almost any one of them because everything is so entrenched and nobody cares about doing what's right for the country they only care about the party george washington wrote about it in his farewell address to the congress right he said you know the death of this nation will be partisanship yes so yes uh, i can't say 
that I have not observed that, sadly. As I mentioned earlier, I do not have a history of politicking, and this has been a very new arena, a new terrain for me that I'm navigating my way through. And sadly, that has been my experience. We are a very divided party. Grooming bill. What else? Uh, So actually, I I wanted to... uh, uh, deem religious services as essential services, but my uh, new friend Ben Toma, I just learned, championed that and got, that got passed. So I'm super happy about that. Okay. So congratulations to him and actually to us, so that we can protect ourselves. You know, uh, going forward. First Amendment. Yes, <laughs> and then of course it wasn't temporary. You know, we've we've got 400. I think more than 430 agencies um, that are are comprised of non-elected officials that really kind of run our lives and have, in fact, um, enabled our government to practice fascism uh, against me and my fellow citizens. Uh, So all of those, like the Department of Education, the CDC, all of that needs to be... ATF, FBI, you know, they say they're all good folks. They're not. Where are the 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 good people standing up to the bad rules? This is the government overreach. This is the government overreach. We have got to take a look at all that and start dismantling. But, you know, you can't do anything until you acknowledge the problem right you have to acknowledge that there is government overreach and that it is to our detriment it was never intended to be that way they're like the fourth branch of government seems like um well okay so we got grooming and government overreach what do you have legislatively in mind for government overreach because uh, you're running for state house, I, I, so so you're not you're not running for the U.S. Senate. Well, so talk you to know, me a little bit well, about that. Being a small business owner, I mean the 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 restrictions that they put on us while we were during COVID were atrocious. I mean, right. listen, we came very close to having to close a couple of our locations after being uh, in business for thirty years. Right. Uh, you know. M- forcing us to buy insurance for all of our employees, which, you know, when you, it's like, we're not a small business, but we're not really a big business. Um, There are, you should give, be given options. I I think this won't happen again. They're not going to shut us down in our lifetime again, because we just won't do it. And we shouldn't have done it the first time. And guys like me were standing out front, firing our pistol off in the sky going, you're out of your minds, people. They're going to take everything. Which they did. I didn't shoot my gun, really. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but I've been a lunatic about this from the beginning. I won't yeah. wear a mask. I didn't wear yeah. one. I, I For two weeks, they said, you know, masks and shut down. I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to go home. That's yeah. it. I'm yeah. not putting on a mask. And yeah. at the end of that, I said, yeah, it doesn't seem right to me. Not doing it. Pass. Not yeah. interested. Yeah. Um, and it's not because the guy won't be told what to do. I, I mostly follow the rules, and I mostly get along with society really well, well most people are practical you yeah. know and and we want to be you know but we also we also cannot hand over our own logic let me we uh, have got to think for sorry no 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 it's okay you're saying i i believe i what's next though i'm never we have a tendency in government to play whack-a-mole in our history and we fix stuff that's already taken care of itself because that's what you can get past and there's no risk Moving forward, what's next? That's the thing I want my legislators thinking about. They're not going to lock us down again. You know why? We won't let them lock us down again. We all know better now. Everybody knows. They'll try. They're going to try again. They're not going to be able to. 
because governors are going to go, nope, not happening on my watch. We know what happened last time. Not going to do that again. Well, it, there's really no guessing. I mean, they've told us what they want to do. They, right. they want to stack the courts, right? I mean, but, they've told us that's so what, what they want to do. So what do we do for the next thing as an Arizona State House of Representatives legislator? And, and what's your district, by the way? Oh, <laughs> It, oh, Legislative District 4. And what's which, 4 now? Because okay, that, that's yes, all been changed. I can't believe this was acknowledged. <laughs> yes, Vera Gibran running for the State House in Legislative District Number 4. What is LD4 goes, now? LD4, after the redistricting, goes from Camelback Road all the way up to Pinnacle Peak Parkway and then 16th Street to the 101. Oh, so you're just south of me. Okay. Yeah. All oh, right. are we south? Okay. Yep. So it's a pretty large district. Yep. It's, you know, Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, a part of Phoenix, uh, down in the Biltmore Camelback area. Yeah, it's the so. well it's probably the most well healed district in Arizona. It's actually the uh considered the most competitive race and it's also a sw it's a swing district. So it's good yes. Yeah, Bunch so. of crazy lefties in Scottsdale. <laughs> so who are you running against? I am uh, running against, it's a crowded field. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, five people running, but I am actually running on a slate with uh, Senator Nancy Bartow. So, of course, I have her endorsement. Okay. I have the endorsement of Andy Biggs as well okay. and, and a few other people. I've Andy's just, an awesome patriot. Yes, he is. Yeah. I, I actually just recently uh, was honored with the endorsement of Cap Action. And uh, so I've got those all, the, all that stuff on my website. But I'm running on a slate with Senator Nancy Bartow and Maria Sims. And so there are two seats and you get two votes. And we're hoping that Maria and I will occupy those two seats. We do have a, a competitor that is establishment, that is uh, touting himself as the true conservative. But then when you look at the amount of money that's been brought in from special interest and the fact that he's already betrayed his promises, he was part of the Madison... About? He was part of the mad. He's the current budgetary director for for our governor. Who did uh, it? That's uh, Matt Gress. Okay. So he he was part of the Madison School Board that masked up our children, voted to mask up our children, yep. and he publicly uh, committed to because it would be a conflict of interest, not take special interest or lobbyist money while they were in session. Well, that that was that promise was broken and you know i'm i'm not i mean i'm only talking facts here all of yeah. this is verifiable yeah. so i'm i'm not mudslinging i'm only you know kind so of you're running against this mad cat i i am and you know it's really important that people do their homework because yeah. you can say whatever you want on a mailer you can pay to have whatever you want written on yeah. there but people need to take a look at people's actions not just what they're putting on a mailer or on their you know twitter feed or whatever well i don't even take republican uh anymore to mean anything when someone says a republican i go tell me what you mean by that because we've got um the gal uh karen taylor ropeson running as a republican and she sounds like a smooth talking yankee lawyer and i and i don't like it i don't i want originalist constitutionalist originalist connected to the past to save the future conservatives i don't honestly i don't care what their reviews are i can't expect to agree with my politicians or my representatives on every issue correct okay? i mean we don't even you don't line you don't align a hundred percent with people you live with or that's, your children that's right Absolutely. so when we hold 
are elected representatives to litmus tests over abortion, death penalty, all the different topics over the years they've tried to divide us with. I, I'm, I'm, I have room for disagreement on all of them. Absolutely. The one I don't have room for disagreement on anymore is originalist, constitutionalist. If that's not part of their view, I don't want anything to do with them. Those are country club Republicans who want to play along to get along. They never say the wrong thing. And they, right. and they just want to shuffle Doesn't off. Doesn't that to... get exhausting? Yes. I, you know, I think about, since I've been in this arena, as I mentioned, I've learned so much. And one thing I think about all the time is, wow, that is just so much that they have to keep up with all the time. That lack of authenticity. I think right. everybody is tired of the well-groomed, perfectly polished uh person who has been trained and trained and trained by their consultants to get their messaging just perfectly and to get it in 10 second sound bites i mean god what a bore it's almost it's an old model boring yeah it's, so it's an old boring model. and yeah. and it's not convincing and people are really tired of that we want people who care about their fellow citizens and who care about the preservation of the greatest country on earth where was the love on fourth of july some of the some of the things that i saw broke my heart it's like you know when i see somebody disrespecting when I heard the Katie flag Perry's mouth i said boy i'll tell you what i may never listen to her again greg when i see somebody disrespecting the united states flag i get very upset i get angry because it's uh, it's almost as if, you know, they're hurting one of my children. Mm -hmm. This country afforded me and my family such a beautiful life. We we were able to leave a civil war that handicapped the rest of our family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, so. It's one of the things I was getting ready to say when we first started talking about the closeness of my grandparents. Because my grandfather had this perspective. He left a failing communist Greece. Yes. During World War One, And... It was funny. A lot of people like to go back to the old country. They liked it. My, my grandfather was like, yeah. And I went back to the Peloponnese with my grandfather in the 1980s. And he was kind of like shrug about it. He was done with the place. It was like, it yeah. failed me. I don't care if I ever go back. I'm right. never going back. And he right. told me, he's like, I'll never go back there. Yeah, I understand Because it failed me. But you know, and, and he's like, I love America. Yes. <laughs> we, we had a little bit of a different story because... Uh, Obviously, with the Civil War, you know the the, the fall of Shah and all. Well, I mean, no, that, did you guys no, come that was after Lebanon. The fall of no, 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 we're we're Lebanese, so that's that's different. Oh, that's talking um, about Iran. Um, that's Iran. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's okay. I we but we did. You know, the Civil War happened because of weak borders and an unlawful entry. So I've already lived what's coming. I've already been there. I already oh, yeah. lost one home. I don't want to lose this one too. Gosh, it's bananas. I, 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 in my head, I've been sitting here thinking uh, that I know you said Lebanese. I know we talked about, uh, I know we, we, we talked about baklava. Yeah. You say baklava. I say betlewa. Yeah, it's about the same word, it sounds like to me. And, uh, and, and I've been, oh, that's, Hysterical. Well, one is made with honey, and the other one is made with a simple syrup that's homemade, yeah, like sugar water or something, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah, and and uh, and Fimo. rose water. Oh, yeah, that's right. Don't that's forget right. the rose yeah. water, Greg. Come on. Oh no, you get you get the win on that. It's a hundred sheets. <laughs> you can make you can make baklava with, for me with, anytime. With pure butter. <laughs> <laughs> I make the best. Oh, that, okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. I mean, modestly, I say so. <laughs> okay, so. Um, you came over and uh, and became a citizen here at some point. Legally. When did you become a citizen? How old were you? 
I was, uh, let's see, I was about 11 or 12. My parents, and you know, I, I have to say this, I'm so proud of my parents for having done this. When my father first arrived, he worked at a, a factory painting John Deere equipment, and it was called Harnish Figure. And because he is fiscally responsible and intelligent, he was able to save up enough money to, you know, uh, 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 build and buy his first uh, restaurant. And after working all those hours every day, sometimes a double shift, and my mother too, taking care of five children alone, you know, no nannies, no housekeepers, nothing, uh, just her with five kids, yeah. they would, at the end of their long day, go to the local high school, to Washington Senior High School, and learn English out of reverence for their new flag. Mm. And they took that seriously. We understood the privilege of being here let me ask you about it did they become citizens because you were a minor you became a citizen under their yes okay. yes i be so they went and so they you never had to test the judge. The swearing and all they that. did they, they did, did. Okay. we we became citizens under my parents well yes, what i was getting to earlier when we started talking about it is i spent a lot of time with my grandfather and he had done really well for himself and everywhere he went people wanted to hear his story mm -hmm. and he would always his hand would slide into his pocket and pull out a handkerchief as he started talking about <laughs> becoming a citizen because his yes. tears would well up in his eyes and yes. it was and i knew him when he was an old man and he would still get teary-eyed and wipe the tears away from his eyes and that's the way i think about the country yes from a very early age it wasn't one of like oh this is it's our place you know i was like man this place is absolutely you know when it I... makes my grandfather cry every time he talks about it that leaves an impression Absolutely. On a young boy who likes hanging out with his grandfather, that's, you know. That's absolutely beautiful. And to that point, for for me, when I say the Pledge of Allegiance, I mean, I, I literally have to make the sign of the cross after because it's, it's a Orthodox prayer to style me. Orthodox too. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a prayer to me. The Pledge of Allegiance is a prayer to me. I'll tell you one that does it for me, um, the National Anthem. Uh, the Pledge of Allegiance, Pledge of Allegiance, I kind of, you know, it was an indoctrination ploy and it's a modern convention. It doesn't work me up too much. But when I hear the national anthem, man, I'll tell you what, it gets my attention. And I almost cry every single time. And half the time I do, my kids know they, they're like, mm, is dad going to make it? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> All right. So you've got this deep abiding sense of patriotism from having come from a place that failed and yes. you have that sense of comparison that so many people lack which gives you some clarity not in addition as a to child all the time. and as, a, as an adult yeah, yeah. you know having worked in all these countries and working with with socialist countries well, and cellularly country. even if you don't remember age six seven eight and nine which you probably do remember some yes, of that I do. um there was a you know that creates a lot of turmoil in a young person's soul to have their life uprooted and moved halfway around the planet it does, especially, you know, I mean, I was I was an aware young child when we were in communication with my family. So in 1981, um, so I come from, sorry, I, I uh, come from a village called Zahli and it's in it's in a valley. So it's on the opposite side of Beirut. And in 1981, you know, at the peak of the war, uh, we weren't able to get, because of the terrain, we weren't able to get tanks and artillery uh, from Beirut to Zahli in time to defend ourselves against the Syrian invasion. And 
the people in my village, which was made up of, I think, about 250 households, maybe less, they took up arms. 14-year-olds, 15, 16-year-old boys. And from The age of your boys off at camp right now. Yes. Yes, exactly. Wow. And from April until June of 1981, all the citizens of this village literally took up arms to push back against the Syrian invasion in 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three months, night and day, the men of the village surrounded our village to protect them from the Syrian invasion. And for three months, not one house didn't perish. Every family, every household perished. And it was worth it because we were able to maintain the efficacy of our little village. Mm. And, you know, people talk, ask me about the Second Amendment all the time. And how could I not think of that? Of course. So I was an aware young child when we were, you know, we'd get one phone call maybe once a month, maybe once every two, three months with the static, you know, because it was on yeah. satellite yeah. and, and uh, try to communicate with our with our it was our, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, our dear friends, you know, our neighbors. And everybody was in the fight because freedom is worth preserving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it brings a unique perspective to the, uh, to the citizen that comes from failed place. And probably your ability to cope and deal with all of that and see all of that allowed you to internationally bop around and poke your nose into places and change them and affect change. Um, people that don't have some disruption that they resolve in their youth, it's hard for them to step into big problems and mm. start resolving them. It casts you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I think I've. I think there's an American saying, uh, something like, everybody needs a little tragedy in their life. Is that an American saying? Well, or am I, I translating? It's definitely human. It's definitely human. I mean, uh, you know, you know, English is actually my second language, though I speak it impeccably. It's my second language. So sometimes when I do the translations, they're not always right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, if people want to donate, let's talk oh, for a minute. They you. can go to uh, votevera.com, V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com. You guys know the drill. It takes money um, to do this. It takes, um, you know, a lot of times successful entrepreneurs, we kind of get our campaigns going, and then um, it'll vacuum up a a decent fortune really, really fast because there's so much money involved. So if you're having a hard time affecting change in Marin County, Boston, (laughs) Chicagoland, Los Angeles, you live someplace that's been overtaken by leftists and you quietly keep your politics to yourself and you don't put your bumper sticker on for fear of a broken window because you fear the place that you love is lost. It's not lost down here. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're, uh, Vera's running in kind of a swing district. I am. It's a really contentious race. We've got rhinos in there. Yeah, we've, we've got tough. rhinos and we've got leftists because yeah. there are a lot of people who started buying Teslas before it was cool are a bunch of greeny uh, lefty nut jobs who live over in Scottsdale in their capitalist afforded privileged lifestyle, judging it all from way on high while they were Dolce and Gabbana. So, um, <laughs> There's a battle to be had. These little battles everywhere steer the states, and the states 
steer the federal government. Yes. So if you live someplace where it doesn't matter where you put your money, stick a little check in the mail. You can go to votevera.com. I'm sure there's a donation button it's, up at yes, the top. It's, it's V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com, and the donation button is right on the homepage. And uh, toss a couple bucks down into a race and see if you can flip something in the right direction. Um, I love getting involved in contentious races because a little nudge can have huge impact. Yes. But might I add, you know, I um, for people who are curious about the details of my platform, please feel free to send me an email. I usually respond within 24 hours. So, but I love the opportunity to have a meaningful exchange with my constituents or with anyone that is curious about my platform. And one other thing before, may I, may I just add a little something? Your operation here... <laughs> really opened up my heart i you took my breath away today i am so proud of you i am so proud of the work that you are doing that you are doing i loved being in your factory today it is artsmanship at its finest and you know i i do enjoy collecting uh, damascus steel knives i, I have a what nice a shocker collection. Is, is it <laughs> And I've collected them from all over the world. But anyway, just watching your artisans. (laughs) Hold on a second. You have a collection of Damascus knives. It's a very modest, very modest little collection. But I've picked them up here and there. And and, and I, I know a little bit of the history. But I just have to say that what you're doing here, Made in America and the artistry and the care that is being put into this is spectacular i can't i can't wait to uh to let everybody know about your operation i'm really proud of you thank you for doing that you know for education we need to bring back in junior and senior year we need to bring back shop where people can just get training on you know mechanics plumbing um electricians this kind of this kind of uh craftsmanship it's beautiful i'll tell you a funny story and then we'll we'll bounce but um, I was doing business in Germany every year until COVID hit, and I had a lot of friends over in Europe and Germany. And whenever I would get there, there was always stuff to do. The Greeks absolutely love me. Now, because I put in my <laughs> bio that my grandfather was Greek from the Peloponnese, these Greeks started showing up yes. to the show that I was at. And I and and like so they there's all these uh Greek knife magazines. You know, they're very small, it's a poor country. Yeah. And, but they've got these magazines and they feature me as like this Greek made good off in America. It's so funny. It's beautiful. So they're always so proud of me and yes. they can't afford my knives. So I like, I just give them some knives. You know, they're really, it's pretty funny. I, I, but they remind me of my grandfather because he yes. would have been so proud. Of you know? course, of course he would. He is actually yeah. proud of you. And, and I, after I saw the workmanship and the artistry and the care with which your knives are made, I think they are very modestly priced. Well, you know, it's funny you say that. I've had people come here and they're like, well, I don't know. My first house was $12,000. That knife's $1,000. My kid wants it. He's graduating from SEAL training. <laughs> I'll, I'll, and, and then, you know, they're just like, you could see they're just like, what? And, and you say, well, hey, listen, we're going to pull some stuff out. Why don't you get a little tour? And after the tour, we'll show you some stuff and you can yes. see which knife you like. They get a tour once they come, they go, all right, I didn't really understand. Right. Can I get one for me too that matches my right. voice? It's spectacular. That I, transformation with people absolutely. is really fun for when me to see. When they see the workmanship yeah. and the care and, the, and that general patent knife, 
I already know what I'm getting. My, my brother is a big General Patton fan, so it's absolutely gorgeous, the detail. Wow. Vera, Bravo. pleasure having you here. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. All Thank right. you. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. Good having you here, and best of luck to you in your campaign. Hey, sports fans, that's the show for the day. So um, this is an opportunity, hopefully. It's so easy to run through some bullet points, and I think everybody's used to the 12-second sound bit. We've been programmed to be a bunch of ADD hamsters licking on a little tube of information. <laughs> and this format affords us the opportunity to get to know somebody and kind of their guard falls down and you could see them melt. Vera came in and she was really worried about what we were going to talk about and what we are going to cover and wanted to know everything in advance. And the truth is it's just a grown-ups having a conversation and talking about life and, and politics and America and our experience. That's what you should vote for. That's what you should think about. And I would think less about litmus tests over one issue or one item uh, and more about the people that we send there George Washington was revered, and uh, Thomas Jefferson said of George Washington, he said, George Washington may be the only man in human history whose actual deeds lived up to or surpassed his reputation. George Washington didn't speak during the Constitutional Convention when he was rallied there because they couldn't stop fighting. Nathaniel Green showed up, said, General, we need you. And he said, no, you've had your pound of flesh. The Republic is yours. I'm, I've got a I've got a plantation to 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 find a way to get it to survive because it was in ill repair after the revolution. And he said, "Sir, it's all going to be lost. You have to show up." So he went and got his coat that had the bullet holes in it from his frontier campaign before the Revolutionary War. And uh, he walked in with the coat on, which was already famous because it had musket holes in it, and the room went silent. And he sat in a central chair and he would gently orchestrate the Constitutional Convention. And whenever they started fighting, he would put his hand down, his head down in his hand, and the whole room would go quiet. All of these well-heeled aristocrat colonists trying to cobble together a nation, they would all shush when the general put his head down. And what he was known for was making decisions that flew completely independent from his own personal gain. And everybody knew it because not only was he the first commander-in-chief, not only was he the first president, he was probably the entrepreneur-in-chief of America. He had the largest whiskey distillery, one of the largest imposing land uh, uh, masses in, in the United States. He was the epitome of the American dream. And what made him, he was famous in his own time. The King of England wanted to meet him, and the Marquis de Lafayette said, no, you don't want to meet Washington. He said, why not? He was short and buggy-eyed, had a limp, had gout in one of his feet. Washington was 6'2", maybe the finest horseman in North America. Thomas Jefferson said, Washington in any other era would have been worshipped a god while living his body would have been carried and possessed like power, like Alexander the Great, for a thousand years. At the bottom of the Capitol Rotunda is his grave. It sits empty because he did not want to be possessed by the nation. 
Those are the kind of people we need to find. We need to find people whose selflessness reaches beyond them for love of country. Yes. Hopefully we find some of them on the show. Thanks for being here. That's the show. It was a pleasure.